God is at work through His local church and through the teaching of His Word. This morning on MyBridge Radio, we are pleased to share a favorite message from Christ Place. Here's Pastor Rick Lorimer. The book we're studying is Jude, and Jude talks about fighting for the faith, contending for the faith. Uh, I personally really enjoy a boxing metaphor. Not that I've ever competitively boxed, but there are some things that I can relate to. Like, have you ever felt in life that you're kind of against the ropes? Everything's just kind of coming at you? Or maybe you've gone through a season where you've just been pummeled by circumstances or relational crises? And, and, or have you ever felt like, man, you've just been hit to the mat? I mean, you just feel like someone cold-cocked you uh, relationally or something. And, but here's the, here's the beautiful part about boxing. Uh, you can actually get hit and knocked down and still win the fight. You can actually lose the round and still win the fight. Merrick, you can go a step farther. You can lose all of the rounds, and as long as the last bell hasn't rung, you can still win the fight. And there is something in this context that Jude is saying, we have to contend for the faith no matter how far we've been beaten down, no matter what's going on in our lives. We each need to know what it looks like to fight for the faith, the simple truths of the gospel, the core of the gospel, the apostles' teachings. Uh, some would call it maybe the apostles' creed and the way of Jesus. There's just core things. Man, we got we to be willing to fight for the faith. Some of you are saying, Rick, well, why do we have to fight for the faith? Well, Jude tells us in his salutations because there have been people who he calls false teachers, false leaders who have wormed their way into the local church. They've wormed their ways in, they've infiltrated, and there are people being deceived by their teachings. One of the things that is really concerning to Jude is that they're taking the central core aspect of the grace of God. We are saved by grace. Um, man, that they're taking that as a license to uh, do whatever they want to with their desires and their, their sin. They're, they're saying, hey, as long as we're covered with grace, it's all good. Let's just do whatever we want to do. They're leveraging God's grace in a way that displeases God. It, takes, it abuses the grace of God. And now we're going to see that Jude kind of changes his tone. And so if you have your Bibles, I want you to go with me to Jude. Come on, man. We're going to go to Jude. It's towards the end of the New Testament. If you go all the way to the book of Revelations, turn left, you're at Jude. You're at Jude. And we're starting with verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers, say scoffers, following their own ungodly passions. Verse 19, it is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keeping yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. So Jude is redirecting his attention right now. You may have caught this. Twice he says, beloved. Well, when we are in the very beginning in the salutation of Jude, that's kind of how he started his letter. He mentions beloved twice, verse one and verse three. And so what he's doing at this point is he's changing the direction. He's changing from talking about false prophets to an eyeball-to-eyeball moment with his readers. And he's doing something here that is, is really kind of, I think, exciting and encouraging. He's, he's literally helping you now connect the dots. He gave the challenge to fight for the faith. 
He's talked about the false teachers. Now he wants to tell his readers how to fight. Fight like this, he's saying. Fight like this. I think it's interesting to me that he, in this battle plan that he's giving us, you know, he's kind of like a coach actually, kind of setting us up to know how we can get in the ring and fight for the faith. Um, he doesn't tell us to kick the false teachers out of the church. He doesn't say, find them, isolate them, and give them the boot. Doesn't do that. He, he says, remember. Remember. Okay, we're, we're, it's like, remember. We're, we've talked about Old Testament stories. We've talked about Old Testament characters. We've talked about the apocalyptic text from the, the book of Enoch. But let's go more recent. Remember what the apostles taught you. Many of these readers, first generation, they heard the apostles give warnings of false teachers. And Judas saying, remember, remember this was going to happen. Remember you're in a battle. That's number one. I'm going to be giving you five different instructions that Jude gives us in how to fight. And I'm hoping that one of these will just reside deep in your soul and you'll practice it this week. But some of you need to like, remember you're in a battle. Here's a man of authority who's under authority and saying, we need to follow the apostles' teachings. They, they told you about this. They said it was going to happen. And there's nuances. He said in the last times, that these scoffers would come, that as we get closer to Jesus returning, this is just going to grow. This is just going to become more intense. But let me tell you, we need to see what Jude says don't do. Jude says don't scoff at the scoffers. Don't fight for the faith the way they fight for their immoral choices. You're not to become a scoffer. Don't fight that way. And I see believers do it all the time. We end up taking their tactics. We get influenced by their way of battling. We start doing the same thing with them. Jesus says, don't do that. Can we just be super real for a moment? Say, uh-huh, all right? all right? Lean in with me here, all right? We live in such a cynical time that scoffing has become part of finding your tribe. It is so easy for us in our culture and the dynamics of our society to sit in that cynical, critical place where we associate with tribes of people that have the same scoffing attitude that we have. But God says, no, blessed is the person who does not sit in that seat. Come on, church. I must never become scoffers. Let's never sit in that seat. Now, Jude doesn't stop there, but that's a big portion. He says, remember, you're in a battle. That's number one. Fight like this. What are we going to do? Remember, we're in a battle. Jude doesn't stop there. Look at verse 20. He unleashes these, these next four ways we can fight. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting, say waiting, for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. There's four things in these two verses that are powerful. Grammatically, Jude's only imperative or I should say emphatic command is that middle part that says, keep yourselves in the love of God. In other words, Judah's saying, if you can only hear one thing, make sure you understand this, that in, when you're fighting for the faith, you have to keep yourselves in the love of God. And the three other commands that you see there, building up your most holy faith, praying in the spirit and um, waiting on the mercy of the Lord. Those are all connected to this one right here. 
They're participle clauses. They're all, they're all in some way subcommands to this. So when you start thinking about how do I keep myself in the love of God? Well, the next three instructions are going to help you know how to do that. And if you can do that well, then you're going to know how to fight for the fur of the faith. But, but you got them in. You got to do this. So number two is fight like this. Keep yourselves in God's love. God's love. So now Jude is instructing us to keep ourselves in the love of God. So this beautiful picture of the sovereignty of God, he keeps and human responsibility, we are to be keeping ourselves. And God wants us to be actively involved in knowing what it looks like to remain in his love. In John 14, Jesus talked about it this way. He said, men, you are to abide in the vine. You are to hold fast to your source of life. And it's God's love. It's God's love. It's something, church, we could easily glance over. But because of time, some of you, you just need to think through, how do I remain in the love of God while I'm in the workplace? How do I remain in the love of God when I'm in a fight with my husband? That never happens, does it, babe? Never, okay? You know, how do I remain in the love of God, you know, throughout the day? Because it's crucial for you fighting for the face. So the first thing is this, we remember we're in a battle. Two, we keep ourselves in the love of God. And these next three, they're like subcommands of keeping ourselves in the love of God, but they all deal with fighting for the faith. So here's the third thing we are to do. We're to build up our faith. Jesus says, fight like this. Build up your most holy faith. Church, this is why it's such a big deal for Wendy and I, man, to be in a church community. It's been vital for us our whole life as a married couple and raising our children. Being with you makes me better. Here's the problem. Many of us, we get acclimated to this. We, yeah, we affirm that we have a church or we have a church that we identify with and we, we have a faith that we identify with, but we live here and we think this is the life. Oh, I'm living the life. No, this could be you. If you would learn what it means to have a faith community, that it isn't just an event that you occupy or participate on, on the weekends, that there's so much more for you in this room uh, with the people that you call your church family. It's fantastic to come and be in the love of God with with the worship and you can enjoy the moments and when the pastor's preaching, yeah, man, he can look like an idiot and maybe get your attention on something and draw you back to the love of God. But, But man, we need each other throughout the week to be building up our most holy faith. See, take advantage of of our times together. For some of you, this is the only time you're with a corporate group of other believers and you gotta maximize it, man. You know, here's here's what you can do. Come early. Uh, No, yes. We have coffee, we have tea. I know some of us are introverts and it's like just being in a room with other people you don't know, it's like, it's almost like, oh, overwhelming. Well, get a cup of coffee, get a tea, get, get some tea. Even if you don't drink it, hold it and it can be like your shield with everybody. You know, I mean, but find a way. Listen, when Wendy and I were dating, there were awkward moments. I took her to a movie. Well, you know, on very first dating, she didn't want any popcorn. I'm thinking, do you want Popcorn. You know what? I asked her eight times. I don't really want popcorn. I went and bought her popcorn. It was awkward. But so, especially if you're kind of new to Christ, place, you're kind of dating this thing, you got to get through the awkward stage. You, you got to find some people that you resonate with. 
You gotta find some people that, that, you can, that will help sharpen you in your own faith. But it doesn't happen. We're just occupying these seats that are way too small, by the way. These seats. You've, you've gotta linger. Maybe come early. Stick, stay late. Here's something you can do. I'm, I'm gonna blow your minds right now. This, are you ready for this? I don't know, you know, some of you need to strap in. If there are seatbelts, put them on. This is, gonna, this is crazy. Are you ready? After every service, make it a point to pray. Matter of fact, let's go. We're, we're going really, to live on the edge. Here we go. What if you were to regularly come down for prayer? Pastor, people might see me. Who cares? Do, 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 some of you don't even know what it is. It is like to have people who have prayed over an hour ahead of time for you to be down here and for them to lay hands on you and to spiritually pray for you. I'm telling you, there is, there is a strength. There is a power. God uses that. You want to build up your most holy faith? Take advantage of being around other people that love God. Yes. You know, for me, uh, I, I had to actually join a dream team. I, 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 when I was 18 years old and I was new in my faith, I, I, I actually didn't know how to get plugged in. So you know what I did? I, I knew I couldn't, it wouldn't happen naturally because my nature just wasn't going to make it happen. I wasn't going to chase people and say, you've got to know me. I mean, I wasn't going to do that. So I joined a, a volunteer team. I became an usher. I was like the youngest usher in the history of the church I was a part of. I mean, I had a baby face back then. I probably looked like I was 14. I'm thinking, I'm going to make up offering. But the relationships to this day are some of the men, if I need prayer, the Bill Gross, the Bill Damers. I ended up joining a softball team with those guys. Those older guys took me in. And it was so good to be around other people that were very different than me, that loved the same God as me. For some of you, that's the only way you're going to find yourself getting plugged in is if you just join a team. We need the accountability. Without it, it just won't happen. And, and so it is. That's, this, man, how do you build yourself up in your most holy faith? You, you structure if you have to. You get involved in a team. You come down for prayer. You linger in your seat and pray when everyone else is leaving. That's okay too. Listen, don't rush off. Don't rush off. Man, I know right now restaurants are hurting. Staffs are low. drive throughs can take an hour. But you know what? Let's not worry about it. Maybe you're gonna need to fast. I don't know, but just linger. Don't try to beat the Baptist to the buffet. Just stick around. I'm in every man a warrior group because I so believe in the need of being with other brothers and sisters in Christ that will help sharpen me grow. I meet every Wednesday at 6.45 with eight other men. 6.45 a.m. Did I say a.m.? It's ridiculous. I hate the time. I love that I'm growing. I'm building up my faith. And it's other men helping me do that. I want to read you a verse. I'm going to press on here. It's found in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. I want you to see how big a deal this was to them. In the early church, it says, all believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings and to fellowship and the sharing in meals and cleaning the Lord's Supper and to prayer. It doesn't say one or two of them. It says all the believers. We've got to find a way to make this more. And you know, we're going to do what we can with excellence when it comes to worship when it comes to preaching, we're going to do what we can to be, be the, the best that we can be. That's still not good for some, but we're going to do the best we can do. 
And some of you maybe are new to Christ's place. You may think, wow, they're all about pageantry. They're all about the production. No, can I tell you what's more important to us than excellence, more important to us than pageantry, more important to us than productions? It's the presence of God. Don't you move on so quickly that you don't let the presence of God do something in you. Now that verse I just read kind of leads to this, this third way we fight that Jesus says, fight like this. He, he says, man, fight like this. He says, pray in what? The spirit. Pray in the spirit. We're, okay, we need to redeem. We need to remember we're in a battle. We need to keep ourselves in the love of God. We need to build up our most holy faith. And then he says, man, you need to pray in the spirit. Pray in the spirit. Now this language that Jude is using is very similar to the language Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 14, also in Ephesians, about praying in the spirit. And Paul used this language when he was contrasting praying in the spirit with praying with your mind. Or in other words, some translations will tell you praying in tongues, a gift of tongues, versus praying with your known tongue, your own language. And so many theologians speculate that Jude is capturing Paul's wording because people are very familiar with it, and he's driving home. We have these people calling themselves really spiritual. They're false teachers. They're not spiritual. They're soulish. So here's what you do. You pray in the spirit. Now, I know that this whole subject of tongues and praying in tongues, for some of you, that's like, wow, I came from a background where that was just plain weird. Or others of you, you've never been taught anything about the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And so that seems really out there. And, you know, you think of maybe only people that are experiential and not word-driven. And I don't know, you could have all kinds of stereotypes. Can I just tell you that it was practiced in the early church? Not just by the apostles, but by believers. It was also abused. And that's why Paul gives instruction to it in Corinthians but I'm grateful for the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And specifically, I would love for more of you to be open to receive the gifts of the Holy Spirit because I want you to fight for the faith. And we can't do it in our own power. We need some intangibles. We need some supernatural gifts of God in operating in our lives. I, I love praying in tongues. I mean, if, just because some of you think it's weird, but I, I, I love that gift because there are times, I would say every day, there's, uh, there's someone that comes to my mind and I don't know what you're going through. So I start praying in my prayer language. I pray in the spirit and the spirit, I believe, is interceding for you because the Holy Spirit knows what you're going through. So I love that gift. And I, I would long to see more people hungry for the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the fire of God, and, and, and not to be this weird thing out there that you be a very normal person who is very open to not only rational prayers, but, but man, this, the supernatural kind of praying. Now, all that being said, I don't think Jude is being that specific, quite honestly. Um, I, I believe you can be guided by the Holy Spirit in prayer without speaking in tongues. So I think this is more general, but he could really could be double meaning here. It could be like a double, you know, double wordplay here, but I really believe he wants you to be guided in prayer. Uh, there's times when I, I pray the Lord's Prayer every day, pretty much, and I find it fascinating that it's really about a corporate prayer because he tells us to pray like this, our Father, not my Father, our Father, who, who is in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come, God, your will be done. Uh, and it goes on, Lord, give us our daily bread. Just stop for a second on that. Um, it doesn't say give me my daily bread, it says give us. So sometimes when I'm praying the Lord's Prayer, 
I will have people like Jerry Christensen or, or other individuals in this room right now, your name or your face will come to mind. And if I know what you're going through, man, that's where I begin to pray, Lord, give them their daily bread. Give them what they need, not necessarily what they want, because there's a difference, right? Lord, what is it that we need? Lord, help us, help us, man, help us have the right nourishment to our souls. And so we can be guided by the Spirit. We can pray in the Spirit, man, through, through yes, a prayer language by, by the Holy Spirit, but it can also be through rational. It's rational and transrational. But here's the thing. Here's a big takeaway. I've been talking too much about that. You ready for this? Come on, lean in. To, have, to be able to pray in the Spirit, whether it's rational or transrational, you've got to have a time and place to pray. I can talk till I'm blue in the face about prayer life. Hey, be a prayer warrior. And here's how you pray. Rah, pray. But if you never set aside time or have a place to pray, it's not going to happen. So if you want to fight for the faith, the integrity of the faith that someday kids and grandkids are, are, are going to, what they're going to find is going to be built upon what you do. And you've got to be willing to make time and find a place where you develop a prayer life. And a place where you articulate your soul, where you literally learn to communicate what's going on inside you or, and learn how to intercede for others, where you learn to listen because God still speaks. And you start listening for the voice of the Holy Spirit. We're talking, about, we're talking about fighting for the faith. And he says, fight like this. Remember, remember. And he goes on, he says, man, keep, keep yourselves in God's love. And, and he says, Build up your most holy faith. And he says, pray. Praying in the spirit is key to that. And then there's this last one. He says, wait on God's mercy. Wait on God's mercy. Mm. The mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. Now, biblical waiting is not passive. I mean, you know, like sitting in a doctor's office, that's not biblical waiting. I don't know about you, but I can't stand being in a doctor's office waiting, right? Um, so how do you get a picture of what it looks like to wait on the Lord's mercy, which is eventually leads to this eternal life? What's that look like? Well, biblical waiting is, it means you're doing something, but you're not doing the obvious. Like when you're holding the door for somebody, it's not that you're not doing something. You're doing something. You're holding the door. So someone else can go first, right? That's, you're doing something. And you know what? It could be raining outside. The wind could be blowing. You're in Nebraska. It could be all be happening at the same time and then start sleeting on you <laughs> while you're holding the door. And what's the purpose? Because you're letting someone go before you, in front of you. And when you wait on God, you're standing your ground. You're showing grit while you let God go first. Many times it's, it's you, man, choosing faith over fear. It looks a lot like trusting God's character rather than looking for his hands. It, it means reminding yourself that life is short. It's a mental shift. Look out how Jude words this. He says, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. We're holding the door. We're waiting on God because his mercy isn't fully realized yet. It's... It's, it means we become less, and this is a big deal for some of us right now. God wants you to become less amped about this temporary world and begin to look forward, get this, to judgment day. Did he say judgment day? I said, you yeah, look forward to judgment day because that's when his mercy is realized on your life. 
There is so much more. We think this life is it, and it's, it's just a smidgen to be able to be, in, you know, with God for eternity. He compared us to the, he's comparing really what we have to what the false teachers have when they have judgment day. It's theirs is the eternal hell, lake of fire. We realize the mercy of God and it will be amazing. Man, if you have nothing to look forward to, that's like an, a breeding ground for discouragement and depression. And God wants his people to look forward to realizing what his mercy brings you. He wants you to look forward to that. See, depression is fueled by hopelessness. And, and really, when you have nothing to look forward to, that's what happens, man. We, we start getting hopeless. Anxiety begins to reign. You can't look beyond today's trials. Jude wants us to be so eternity-minded that no matter what's going on around us, man, we know there's better days coming. It's not a joke. It's not just something religious people say. He wants you to be able to and hang on and look forward to that day when you're going to see him face to face. And it will be amazing, amazing. He wants to be so eternally minded that we don't get distracted in the affairs of this life and lose sight that we're going to fight for the faith. Uh, my mom and dad used to take our family on vacations. And back in the days, really, you know, air, air travel was, wasn't something I was ever exposed to as a young kid. And all of our vacations were tied to road trips. Anybody relate? Road trips. And, and I was never the kid who was worried, would dad get us there? I wasn't worried about that. You know, I didn't ask questions like, will dad get us there? Oh, mom. Hey, hey, Renee, will dad get us there? Will dad get us there? That wasn't me. Listen, I was ADD. I was that kid bouncing off the walls. But here's my question. Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? Are we there yet? I drove my family nuts with that question. Church, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. But you don't need to question whether or not the Father's going to get you there. He'll get us there. And don't confuse this life with the destination. And there are some of us in the house right now. God so wants you to trust him that his mercy will be fully realized that that, you know, even though you don't understand why everything's going on the way it's going on or what's happening in your life personally and you can't connect all the dots, you could be assured of this. That while you may not be able to know everything that's going on right now, you can trust the one you're following because he's a good father. That he wants you to remain in his love. You know, Jude bookends our talk today in saying, remember, you're in a battle and he closes out with this mercy thing, saying, remember, you win. You win. Thank you for joining us this morning for a favorite message from Pastor Rick Lorimer from Christ Place. If you'd like to hear this message again or more like it, check out Heard On Air on the MyBridge Radio app or online at mybridgeradio.net.